you were in this room uh, for the Sunday school hour, and, and many of you were not, but those of you that were, uh, their, Brother Don was looking with us uh, a lot at uh, chapter 5 of Romans, really having to do with the reality or the truth of being dead in our sins, but being put to death because of that, and being a new creature. One of the difficulties in churches in America is there are a number of people who realize that there is a certain way that we should live. Your conscience tells you so. Everybody has a conscience. And your conscience tells you that there's a right and that there's a wrong. And because of this conscience, many people look for where they can go so that their conscience will, in a very real sense, almost leave them alone. Now, your conscience is a gift from God to cause you to realize, to understand that you're not okay in yourself, that your selfishness is not okay. But that's just the beginning. Your conscience and the creation were given so that you would look away from yourself And to the one that created all of this, the one that created you, the one that gave you that conscience. And he has given us this revelation in his word that you might be able to read. One of the things um, recently, someone made this statement recently. We were looking, it was yesterday, yesterday morning we were looking uh, at the book of Judges. And we were looking at chapter 18 and in chapter 18 there are some men from the tribe of Dan that want more land, really. They've been given the land that they're supposed to have just above Judah, and they want more land. And it, you have to read it. It's bizarre, really, honestly. You read it, but all you, can, all you can really say when you read it is, wow, this is what happens when everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. This is how things go when you do that which is right in your own eyes. But one of the statements that was made was how they were not doing what what how they were not doing what the law had laid out. Now, hear me, please. I'm not saying this just to just to say this. The God that made you wants to talk to you. The God that made you wants to talk to you, and this is where He's going to do it. Okay, please hear me. It's, it's, it's so significant. This is not a manual. This is not a how-to book. That's not what this is. This is God communicating to each and every one of us that will let him the truth about him and about you. Now, it's also the truth about me. It's also the truth, truth about us. But the truth about him and about you God is not interested in you living according to any manual, including the Bible. God wants to have a real relationship with you. And he explains this all to us in his word. Now, interesting, let me, I want to say something to you. In, in the Gospels, Jesus says to Peter at some point, he asks the disciples, but who do, you, who, do you, who do people say I am? They say, well, some people, you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah, some think you're this, but who do you say I am? And Peter says this, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And his answer is this, blessed art thou, 
Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. Now, if you go back, this is in John. If you go back to John chapter 1, one of the very few first people, one of the first two people that hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world and goes and follows Jesus. One of the first two people is Andrew. One of the first two people is Andrew. Andrew is Peter's brother. And you know who, you know who Andrew goes to get first? After he realized that Jesus is the Christ, he goes and he gets Andrew. So, so Jesus says to, to, to Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but flesh and blood had revealed this unto him. In other words, this is what happens. Someone gets saved and they tell their family, I've been saved. You wouldn't believe who Jesus is. You won't believe what Jesus can do. You can't, I, I can't even explain it to you. I don't even really understand all that's going on yet. I'm just telling you, Jesus is wonderful. And this is what happens. Out of curiosity, they come and they go to church. Or out of curiosity, they pick up a Bible and look. And this is what happens. Their relative reveals to them. That's me. I'm sorry. Their relative, just turn that off and just turn the uh, phone. I'll stay still. Their relative has revealed to them that Jesus is the Christ. But hear me, that's not enough. Do you understand? I can tell you that Jesus is who he says he is. I can tell you that. And he is. But that won't do you any good. He has to show you who he is. He has to show you. So as we study our Bible this morning, as we look into our Bible this morning, what God is not interested in is you trying to do better. What he's interested in is you to realize, I cannot do this. I cannot make myself a new creature. I have no power to live the way I'm supposed to, to repent of your own way of thinking and saying, Lord, show me. Just show me. Now, look, we're in the book of James. And I, and I, I say this about the book of James because the book of James is the first reality epistle. It's the first epistle after the book of Hebrews where what God is doing is revealing to you and to me whether what you have is real or not. Whether what you have is your best efforts or what you have is a new life. Because God is not interested in you living a joke. God is not interested in you playing church. God is not interested in you being at 2 o'clock in the morning, brokenhearted and sad and depressed and anxious and worried or anything else. That is not what God wants for you. What he wants for you is to, for you to have a reality. And the only way to have this reality is to be honest with yourself and then to be honest with God and let him show you. So if you read the book of James, we're in chapter 5 now. We can't go all the way through the book again. But the book of James makes it very clear that this, the Christ, the Messiah, the high priest of Hebrews, who not only came and paid for your sins, not only intercedes on, on your behalf all the time, but that he's pouring out a whole new life within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of James says, is that true in your everyday life? Because if it's not true in your everyday life, it's not true. What good is it? What, listen, honestly, what good is a relationship with God that lasts from 9 o'clock on Sunday morning to 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon? What good is that? Honestly, what an absurd idea. Really, why bother? What God wants for you to have is life, real life, and he has given it to you. And he's given it to us. And so when you read the book, when you read the book of James, what God wants you to realize is, well, let's look at it. Let's, let's look at this. Let's go to verse 14. 
Let's look at verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14. Verse 13 says that God's not tempting anybody. One of the things that's funny is when people say, well, God, you know, God threw this temptation in my way. No, God did not throw a temptation into thy way. This is what happens, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is early in the church. And what he's saying is this. We have an opportunity. The first Christians had an opportunity for the world to see what happens when God changes a man or woman? And you and I live, listen, I was thinking about this the other day. I've been thinking about this a lot. There are times in our history, there are times in the history of the world that I think I, there are times in the history of the United States of America that I think I would have rather lived than the one that I'm living in right now. But, but I was born now on purpose. Do you understand? My birth, your birth, they're not accidents. When we were born, is not an accident. You and I, if you're really a new creature, if you're really a new creature, you and I have the privilege of people living in this day and age seeing what happens when God is at work in a heart and life. And this is a tremendous privilege. Go back earlier in the chapter, right at the very beginning, right? Let's go back to verse 2 of chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, I really I don't have time to go back over this. But I did not understand. I really did not understand this. I really didn't. When I was a younger Christian, I really looked at this and thought, yeah, you're supposed to pretend it's all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Or we're supposed to act like it's all joy. Nope, nope. The word, when it says count it, what it's saying is this, understand. Understand. Understand what's going on. This is such a wonderful truth. When I was first saved, when I was first saved it was remarkable to me how much my own life fought with me in the things of God. Right? Because the things that I've been doing for a long, long time that I enjoyed doing, suddenly they were my enemy. The things that I didn't want to do anymore, well, guess what? My flesh still wanted to do them. They still wanted to be a part of my life. And I found this temptation going on all the time in my life that this was going on. It's like, but the inward man didn't want it anymore. The, the new creature. And again, as a baby in Christ, you don't have any understanding of what's really going on. I don't want to live like this. That's all I understood. I don't want to live like this. And yet there was a continual, aggressive match, wrestling match going on all the time in my life. And what God says is, don't be bothered by this. Because I'm going to win all of these things in your life. It was probably three or four years ago that I had a realization, and, and this is the difference between Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. And I don't remember, this, I'm, going to, I'm going to state it to you the way it came to my understanding. This thing, whatever this thing is that I've never defeated in my life, this thing that I've never had the power to defeat in my life, Jesus has never lost to it once. Isn't that amazing? I am Ofer in this, and he is undefeated in this. So why am I going to try again? Why am I going to try harder this time, right? Because what happens is this. When your conscience is awakened to the things that you rejoice in as good things now, and you say, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that now. And then you try to do it. Let me just say it this way. You pick whatever it is. 
I'm just going to pick being nice to my wife. Right? I'm going, to be, I'm going to be nice to my wife no matter what. You have no idea how many times I drove home from the office working as an engineer. I'm going to get home today. It doesn't matter what my wife says or does. I'm going to get home today. I'm going to love my wife. My, I, lo I do love my wife. She's a wonderful woman. She's a much better person, and she is a much better person than I am. I'm, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to have a great night. And I walk into the house, and I smell something that's burning, right? And it's like, well, I didn't know this was going to happen. It's all over now. It's all bets are off. All bets are off. I was going to be a nice person. Here's the thing. How to perform it, Romans chapter 7. To will is present with me. It's amazing how much I like people when I'm not around them, right? To will is present with me. But how to perform this, I find not. I don't find, I have no ability to do this. But let me say this. Let me, without any exaggeration, Jesus has never, Jesus has never not loved my wife. Never. Jesus has loved Kathy every day, all day, all the time. Amen? So I have no power to love like I'm supposed to. So I have to stop walking after the flesh and walk after the Spirit instead. Because the Holy Ghost is able to do this, right? 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 The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. So I don't walk after the flesh anymore. This is what James is saying. In your everyday life, I'm going to win. In your everyday life, I'm going to win. Now, we don't have time. We really don't. We, we, we don't have time. By the way, let me say this. We'll have our evening service as we normally would tonight at 6 o'clock. I'll be preaching this evening. We'll be in 2 Timothy. And I know the Super Bowl's tonight. Come to church instead. If you're going to stay home and watch the Super Bowl, please cheer for the Atlanta Falcons while you're doing it. <laughs> just wanted you to know that. <clears throat> I, like a good Christian, will be at church tonight <laughs> silently cheering for the Patriots. And I don't care how much is there in the football when, when they're doing it. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James, there's a lot here. We're not going to have a chance. We're going to have to come back to this again next week. There's a lot here. I, know, I already know there's a lot that we're going to need to see in this. James chapter 5 has, has, a, has, toward the end of it, has a passage that has confused people for a long period of time. It's a passage that's either ignored or misunderstood largely. And, and we need to be able to understand what's actually going on. And it really will matter in your life that you understand this. But what I want you to do, we started in verse 12. So let's, but in order to understand verse 12, right, verse, James 5, 12 does not appear, listen to me. You got to, please hear me for just a minute. You have to stop living Fortune cookie Christianity. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Right? You, you, you get your Chinese food, which is really good for you, by the way. You get your Chinese food, and you're done with your Chinese food, and you break open that fortune cookie, which nobody should eat, by the way. Would you break open that fortune cookie, and you get that little piece of paper out of it, and on one side are your lucky numbers for the day, okay? So if you're going to play the lottery, play those numbers. I'm not sure why, but that's what you're supposed to do. On the other side, there's either, they teach you, either they teach you some Chinese word, or there's a saying, and that saying is just tremendous wisdom, tremendous wisdom. Everybody should live their life according to that wisdom and that fortune cookie. No, no. But listen, if you take your verses in your Bible out of context, it's the same thing as reading a fortune cookie. Because you can take any verse in the Bible and make it say whatever you want to say. 
if you just take the verse by itself. But, but James chapter 5, verse 12 is not on its own. It came after verse 11, which came after verse, see where we're going with this? Which came after verse 9, which came after chapter 4, which came after chapter 3, which, right? And so when you sit down and read your Bible, God intends that you'd understand the context of what it is that you're reading. And the only way that you can understand your context is if you do the way we preach and teach on purpose, and that is to start at chapter 1, verse 1, and go through the book and so that the book can speak for itself. Instead of you saying what you want or I saying what I want, we'll let God say what he wants to say about this. Amen? So let's look. Let's go back to chapter 5, verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries shall come unto you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust, this is actually the poison, the rust has the idea of the poison, and the poison of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasures together for your last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is kept back by you by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. By the way, let me just say this. I don't think we said this when we were in this passage before. The word Sabaoth. Everybody, does everybody know what the word Sabbath means? Sabbath. Sabbath? Yes? Right? Rest. Right? Sabbath is rest. Now, Sabaoth is not just fancy Sabbath. Okay? It's a completely different word. It's a Hebrew word. It's a completely different word. And what it means, Sabaoth means a host, like a giant army. So when you look at this, so it says, into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. That means that the people who worked hard and these rich people kept their money, that the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord who commands the armies of heaven, he heard their cries. And so, listen, hear me. This is really important. So the people who look like they're getting away with robbing the average person, they're not getting away with it at all. God understands and hears these things. Now, what I want you to understand is this is the immediate context. This is the context that sets up this verse 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 that we're going to study in depth probably next week and maybe even the week after that. But see, this go-to now, so we have these rich men. Now, if you go back just in your mind, go back to chapter 4, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. Go-to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now, in this passage, we have a group of people who are living their life, hear me, who are living their life however they want. And what they're saying is this, we will do this. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. This is going to be the result. And God says, what you ought to say is if the Lord will, we're going to do that. Because look at verse 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. By the word, that word literally means exhale. It means breath. One out, breathe. <sighs> That's it. For your life is even a vapor, which appears for a little while, then vanishes away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. So now, again, in the context, we got to go back to the beginning of chapter 4. Go back to chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4. And I'm doing this on purpose. You have to see this. Before we can study chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we have to remember the context. Chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts? 
that war in your members. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. So that's the context. Now go back just a little bit further. If you go back just a little bit further, in chapter 3, we find that our tongue is a terrible... I, I read something yesterday. This is what I, this is what I read. The, the tongue is a muscle strong enough to break somebody else's heart. Your tongue is a muscle strong enough to break somebody else's heart. That's an amazing truth. The way the Bible says it here is in verse 6, it says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth our members, and defileth our whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. This is a remarkable thing. I know I shared this with you. I was driving back from West Virginia earlier this year when I was over in West Virginia. I was considering this truth. I was driving back. Um, it was a beautiful day. It was one of those days where it rained the night before. The Smoky Mountains, right? I don't know if people understand the context of the Smoky Mountains. When you drive through the mountains uh, between Virginia and West Virginia, um, after a rain, all of the condensation, all the moisture that's lifting up off the ground, it looks like clouds going back up. It looks like smoke on the mountains. That's why they call it the Smoky Mountain. It's just beautiful. The sun was shining through, through the, the moisture that was hanging in the air. It was, it was uh, early. It was just a glorious, glorious thing to see. And there were some deer standing in the field as I was, as I was driving along. I could see these deer in the field. And I was thinking, these, those deer never hurt anybody with their conversation. Think about this. Think about what's being said today on the television, on the radio. Think about what's being sung. Think about the lines in, the, in your television program. Think about what you've said, what others have said. All of the hurt, literally, listen to me, all of the hurt in this world, these little things did it. Isn't that tragic? Just think about how small your tongue is compared to your, your bicep or your tricep. Think of what a little muscle your tongue is. But see, here's the problem. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And again, here's the, you want to hear the really bad news? Those of you who have never heard this before, it means overflow. Man, I used to think when I, when I was angry, and by the way, the funny thing is the person I've been angriest at most in my life, ironically, has probably been my wife. Now, I've been married for 27 years. But my wife probably deserved none of it, if you understand what I'm saying. None of it. None of it. But see, what happens is this. You take out frustration. You never, you, you never take your frustration out on your coworkers or your boss or those that are working for you. You take it out on those that you love because they'll listen to you when you say it. But what, what, what this is, I used to think, oh, man, that's too bad I said that. You know, I mean, I guess I had to get it out because that's just not who I am. Wrong. Out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaketh. Anybody ever um, uh, bump a cup, right? If you bump, this is, this is, you guys can see this, right? It's a glass of water. You guys can see the level in it, yes, right? So if I bump this, what's going to come out when I bump this? How hard do I have to bump it for the water to come out? Here's the answer. It depends upon how full it is. Think about that the next time you lose your temper or get anxious or frustrated, or whatever it is. Think about that. You know, one of the statements I used to say, I used to coach a lot of ball with, with sports with, with young men. 
And, uh, and I would tell them, look, you can tell me that your cup is full of milk all day long, but when they call you out at second base and you know you are safe and you stand up and you immediately respond to that, I'm going to see orange juice, I promise you. Do you understand? Because, listen, listen, I'm telling you, what comes out of you is what you are full of. And what comes out of Jesus? And the answer is love. Amen? Really, truly. Jesus is never frustrated. He's never at his end. He's never uh, anxious. He's never uh, angry. Jesus understands what's going on, and he loves everybody he's in the presence of. And listen, hear me. This is what God wants. This is what God's doing in our lives. This is the victory. This is really the victory. The victory is that whole new quality of life that the Holy Ghost is pouring into your heart and life. You know, isn't it one, honestly, if you're born again, you just rejoice in this. Isn't it wonderful that you hate how terrible you are? And isn't it wonderful that it bothers you how terrible, not how terrible the person behind you or in front of you or down the pew from you, not how terrible they are, how terrible you are. Amen? And that's who Jesus came to save, is you from that. Right. I'm telling you, Jesus did not come to save us from the world. Jesus came to save us from us. Jesus came to save you from you. That's it. You from you. That's what God wants to do. That's what we're seeing here. This tongue, this terrible thing. Now, but come down just a little bit further. He gets done talking about the tongue and he gets to verse 13. And this is so critical to what we're seeing. James chapter three, verse 13. And he when he now this is not this is not a, um, a hypothetical question. He means this question and he means it just like he says it. God is asking, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Is there any, listen, remember now, James is talking to the people in the church, right? This is important. He's not talking to people who profess to be Christians. He's talking to those who assemble together. That's what he's talking to. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? And here's the, here's the, here's what he says to him. Let him that one, show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, look up here for just a moment. So who's smart here? Who's who's wise here? And I can show you who they are. It's those who speak with meekness. Not those who are smarter than the other people in the room. And boy, what was I wrong about this? If you have any wisdom, if the Holy Ghost is really winning in your life, if the Holy Ghost is really conforming you to the image of Christ, then you will speak with meekness of wisdom. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not. Don't brag about this. And lie not. Boy, I tell you, you need to put this on your refrigerator. And lie not against the truth. Stop lying to yourself about this. This wisdom descends not from above. It's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But, boy, I love this passage. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So, the context, go all the way back to James chapter 5, verse 12. Because the context is this. God is speaking to a group of people, and what he's saying is this. Where Jesus is really at work, where Jesus is really winning, 
and you need to take this with you, there is peace, gentleness, an easiness to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruit, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is being sown in peace of them that make peace. Everything else, everything else has to be dealt with. And God is going to deal with it. And God is going to deal with it. That's the context of what we're looking at. Now, what's interesting is this. In verse, in verse 7, verse 6 of chapter 5, says, ye have condemned, speaking to these people. Now, who are the people he's speaking to? The people who are hurting with their tongue, the people who are hurting with their selfish idea, I'm going to live the way I want to, and the people who are worried about money instead of each other. Those are the people that he's speaking to. And by the way, what he's saying is this. Yes, the world has people who hurt with their tongue. Yes, the world has those that are living selfishly every day. And yes, the world has people who, with their own finances, are stealing from everybody else and living and hurting people with their wealth. Yes, it does. But what he's saying is this. It shouldn't be true in the church. It can't be true in the church. It can't be. And I'm going to deal with that. But notice what he says here. At the end, it says in verse 6, you have, you have condemned and killed the just. And he, listen to this, oh, I love this truth. And he does not resist you. Here's the wonderful thing about being born again. You don't have to win. You don't have to win. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to fight. You do not have to do so. You say, but my brother's taking advantage of me. So what? God will deal with it. Right? Right? The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Not that those that get theirs. I'll tell you, listen, the average, the average fundamental Baptist Christian, well, I stood up for what's right, brother. They were saying such and such, and I told them, I could just see the meekness in you, brother. You just reek of, of meekness right now. What is, what is that? You tell me. You tell me what that is. And the answer is pride. Just pride. I'm better than they are. They were wrong. I fixed them. I threw this verse at them, this verse right after it. I'm a fighting fundamentalist. Well, you got a problem. You want, to be the God, the, you want to be the man or woman God would have you to be? The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Listen, all this requires is this. I'm nobody. You can be holy and be nobody. You can walk in the truth. You can walk in the light as Jesus is in the light and be nobody. And you can have tremendous joy and be nobody. And you will be used to help somebody. God will use a vessel unto honor to help those that will be helped. But those that feel like they have to fuss and fight and prove they're right and do all the things that nobody else does correctly, there's, there, it says, what does it say again? Let's just go back. That's what it says. This is chapter 3, yes? Chapter 3, verse um, uh, 14. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not. And stop lying about it and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above. This is just earthly wisdom. This is how the world behaves. But it can't be how the church behaves. It can't be. It's not how you're going to behave. Listen, I'm telling you, if you're a new creature, you're going to stop living like this. And it's a, I'm going to tell you, you talk about tremendous joy, tremendous victory, not having to be right. What a tremendous victory that is. Not, and, and being able to care more about the person you're talking to than yourself, what a tremendous victory that is. And you can't do that in your flesh, and neither can I. But the Holy Ghost can. Because that's how God behaves himself. That's how God does things. Right? Right? God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Not suffered a little bit of embarrassment. Died. 
for us, right? You want to see this? I want you to see this. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. you got to see this. I'm telling you, this is so important. You want to see how much glory Jesus deserves? Let me show you how much glory Jesus deserves. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, speaking of God the Father, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, right? That's what your whole Old Testament is full of. God speaking to people through the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he, God the Father, hath appointed heir of all things, by whom, so God the Father, through the Son, hath he also made the worlds, who, our Lord Jesus, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, in upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? Who did that? Who did that? Jesus did that. Who purged your sins? Jesus did. What part did you have in it? Nothing. Nothing. Now, if you're born again, you trusted him. You trusted him. But your sins were purged by Jesus all by himself. All by himself. All by himself. And listen, that's the beginning of the book of Hebrews. That's the opening statement that God wants to make to you about his son. And he's going to tell you throughout the book, this same one that purged your sins, he ever lives to make intercession for you. He pleads for you all day long. But he doesn't just plead for you all day long. He pours out into you a whole new spirit, right? That's the promise. The whole promise of the Old Testament is you have fallen. You have failed. You have hurt yourself and everybody else. But I will rescue you. But I will rescue you. But listen, I won't just rescue you from the penalty of your sin. I'm going to rescue you from the power of that sin. It will not rule over you anymore. Thank God for that will not rule over you anymore. What a tremendous truth this is. All right, go back. I'm sorry. I just wanted you to see that. I, I know I'm a little bit all over the place this morning. I realize that. Go back to James chapter 5. So that he's speaking to people. He's speaking both to the people who are condemning and hurting others, and he's speaking to those for whom it is happening, right? Verse 7, after it says, you have, killed, you have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. So this is what he says to us in verse 7. To those who are not wanting to hurt anybody else anymore, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, right? When you're going to wait for your apples to grow, you got to have the early rain and the latter rain, right? When you're waiting for the, when you plant stuff in the garden and you're waiting for it to grow, it has to rain and then it has to sunshine, then it has to rain, then it has to sunshine, and then there's a harvest. That's the whole idea. That's what he's saying. So what he's saying is this. It may be raining right now, but it's okay because there's going to be a harvest. And th isn't that wonderful to know? All we're waiting, listen, all I'm waiting for is for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. That's it, period. Here's one of two things is going to happen. Either the trumpet's going to sound and we're all going to leave, or I'm going to die and I'm going to leave. One of those two things is going to happen. But either way, guess what? Praise God, I'm leaving. Yes? Right? I'm leaving. I'm leaving and I can either go by way of the trumpet or I can just go by way of whatever it is. And, you know, I, I elect going... To 
to death. I, I elect going to sleep and not waking up. That's, that's my method, okay? You choose how you want to die. I want to go to sleep and not wake up, okay? That's what, one of those two ways we're leaving this earth. Either Christ is going to come get us individually or he's going to come and get us all together. But this is what he's saying. Don't worry about what they're doing to you. Don't worry about how they treat you. Don't, do, listen, do not fight back. You don't have to. You don't have to. I'm going to take care of all of this. Now, go to verse 12. I want to introduce this. We'll look at it. We are going to end, I'm going to, but I do want to introduce it. I want this to be, I want, when you come back next Sunday morning, I want this to be fresh in your mind. Okay. But, above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. So here, look at, look at me. This is what he's saying. Just be honest. Just be honest. You know, you know the hardest thing, honestly, earlier when, I was, earlier, when I was earlier when I was telling you about how God is getting victory in our lives, and I confess to you that my greatest failure is an inability, has always been an inability to love, just an inability to love, and how God is winning that victory, really truly winning that victory in my life. And what a tremendous, I have, you have no idea what a great joy it is to me personally for God to be winning that victory in my life. Yes? And I hope he's winning that victory in you. I hope you're letting him. By the way, he will win that victory in your life. The only problem that I've ever had with winning that victory in my life is wanting to have my way. You can't have your way in victory at the same time. You can either have your way or victory. You can't have your way and victory because your way leads to death. It'd be great if it didn't, but it does. So stop having your way. That's the whole point. If you will be his disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your Christ daily, take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow him. Every single day, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. This is, the, this is the victory that God wants to give us. And so what he says here is this. When you walk through the day today, don't swear. Don't make an oath. I, prom you know, I tell you, we use the phrase all the time. Kenny, I promise. I swear, Kenny, I'm going to do it this time, right? Don't be that man. Don't be that woman. Just say yay and nay. I will if I can. You know, one of the things that we're learning to do, one of the things that God is teaching us in our lives is to be able to say, I would love to help if I can. Unless you really wouldn't love to help, then don't say it. Just say this. Don't really want to do that. Can you, brother, brother I got to fill some sandbags tomorrow. Can you come help me fill some sandbags? I could. But I'm not. Right? Just be honest about it. But listen, if you were honest, then you'd be forced to deal with who you are. And if you're forced to deal with who you are, then God can make the change. So don't pretend anymore. Stop, again, go back to chapter 3, uh, verse 18, I think it is. Stop lying to yourself about this. If you're not the way God, if you're not having that, that wisdom that is a meek, honest wisdom, stop lying about it. You're, listen, please hear me. Your sons and daughters are not impressed with you lying. They're not. But they will be blessed if you'll be honest. Even if your honesty has to be, I'm not the father I should be. I'm not the mother I should be. But Jesus is the God that he should be. And he's changing me and he will change you. Amen? Your children's confidence shouldn't be in you anyway. Your children's confidence should be in Christ because he is able, right? Because he hath by himself purged our sins.
That's where their confidence needs to be. Our confidence needs to be in what God says about it because God alone is able to do what he says about it. That's what God wants us to see. So next week when we pick this up, I want you to see. Now, let me leave you with this because I like this truth. There's a, there's a, verse 14, things aren't as great. Verse 13, things are really good. Is there any among you afflicted? And the word afflicted here, uh, the word afflicted here means to go through a hard time. It, literally, it has the idea of what soldiers endure. That's literally, the, it's, it's used uh, in uh, 2 Timothy and chapter 2, uh, where he talks about suffering trouble, about uh, enduring hardness as a, as, a, as, a, as a soldier would endure hardness. So this is what he's saying. Is anybody among you going through a hard time? Literally. Is anybody going through a difficult time? Just literally, I'm going through a difficult time. What does he say to do if you're going through a difficult time? What does it say? Pray. Pray. All right? Pray. Now, now here's the other thing. Is anybody among you merry? Right? Merry. M-E, not M-A-R-Y. M-E-R-R-Y. Is any among you merry? Now, by the way, this is only used here in an Acts chapter 27. We'll look at it next week. But in Acts chapter 27, the, the ship is going to sink. Okay. Remember, Paul said to the captain, we probably ought not try to cross the ocean. This is a terrible storm. I prayed, God said, don't try to cross the ocean. And they all got together, all these, men, all these men got together and said, what should we do? I think we can make it. We think we can make it, Paul. We're going to cross the ocean, right? And then they're, and they're, and they're like their 11th day of a storm. They can't even eat. There's, they can't make food because they can't. It doesn't, you know, I don't want to go into all the details, but they, they can eat. They just can't keep it. You know what I'm saying? They, they're going through a terrible, terrible, terrible time. And this is what happened. They're, they are they're literally afraid for their life. And Paul comes up and he says, hey, guys, I pray to God about it. The ship's going to sink. But we're all going to live. That's what he says. So rejoice. That's the same word for be merry. Listen, God is going to save your life. They're in the 11th day, and they think they're going to die. And Paul comes and says, we're not going to die. The ship is going to sink. None of us, none of us are going to die. None of us are going to die. Be happy. So what it says is this. If any of you are going through a hard time, pray. If anybody you're happy, and if you just found out you're not going to die, you might be happy. right? If any of you are happy, what does it say? Let him sing. Let him sing psalms. Not country and western psalms, by the way. Not contemporary rock psalms, by the way. Psalms. Words of praise from the Bible. Right? Our music should be words of praise from the Bible. It should be sung from Christians to Christ. Amen? If you are afflicted, if you're going through trouble, pray about it. If you're going through a good time, sing. Doesn't matter whether you can or not. Amen. Amelia, you know, you can say, okay, Amelia, she can sing, right? You know, there's some of you, you can sing. Andrew, Andrew Cullenbach, we found out, he can sing. I can't sing. But guess what happens to me? You don't have to, you just don't have to listen to me. When you're by yourself, praise God, sing. Amen. Right? When you're around others, hum. Just hum, that's all. But the hard attitude is God is saying, when you're going through difficulty, pray. Of course. When you're not going through difficulty, sing. Here's what happens. When Christians are going through difficulty, almost all Christians will pray when they're going through difficulty. But when they're not going through difficulty, they'll do nothing. They won't even say thank you. But you shouldn't just say thank you. You should sing. And you should sing praise unto God.